Welcome everyone, my name is Shannon Brown, I'm a senior analyst at Standards Australia and your host of the Sets of Standard podcast, a podcast where we speak to industry experts about current and emerging industries and technologies to better understand the role of standards in benefiting the Australian community. On today's episode, I'm joined by Ulrika Frank, who was elected ISO president in January 2022 and is the first woman president of ISO in 75 years. As ISO president, Ulrika is helping drive the implementation of ISO's strategic plan. Ulrika has a distinguished career in both the public and private sectors, including being the vice mayor of the city of Stockholm, where she was responsible for all the city planning in Stockholm. Ulrika has been CEO of various companies in Sweden and also a director of many other boards in Sweden and is also a director of Standards Australia's counterpart organisation in Sweden, sis. I'm also joined by Adrian O'Connell. Adrian was appointed as CEO of Standards Australia in 2019. Prior to his appointment, Adrian was formerly Deputy CEO and General Manager International and Corporate Services at Standards Australia since 2014. As CEO, Adrian works closely with the board, executive and senior leadership team, existing and potential partners, government and their relevant agencies, industry and industry associations and international standards development bodies. As CEO, he's been leading the organisation through a significant transformation, embracing new business and digital models with a focus on generating a better experience for contributors and greater value for the end users. In 2021, Adrian was elected as a member of the International Organisation for Standardisation Council for the term of 20. 2022 to 2024. I'm also joined by Karen Batt, whose current role is Head of International at Standards Australia, where she's responsible for leading Standards Australia's international operations. The role covers the breadth of international activities for Standards Australia, including management of Standards Australia's membership of ISO and IEC and its engagement in the regional fora, as well as the trade enabling and capacity building work programs with international partners and maintaining relationships with other international and regional standards bodies. Karen was elected a member of the ISO Technical Management Board for the 2021 to 2023 term. On today's episode, we learn about the International Organisation for Standards Australia's vision and mission and Ulrika's role as ISO President. We discuss the purpose of standards and what the world would look like without them. We also talk about the role of standards in facilitating international trade and how Standards Australia and ISO work together. And finally, we discuss the importance of ISO's Gender Action Plan and Capacity Building Programme in ensuring all voices are heard in the standards development process. Ulrika, thank you for joining us, Adrian and Karen. We'd love to know, Ulrika, about your trip to Australia and how you're finding it so far. Well, so I've only been here for a couple of days and sadly I'm going back home soon. So it's, uh, but it's been great. I, I have been here on, invited by the government to, to be on the Sydney Energy Forum and it's uh, been a really good forum and it's been a good experience for me interacting with parts of the world, which I not usually do being European. You are the president of uh, the International Organization of Standardization. Can you just give us an overview of the vision and mission of, of ISO uh, and your role as ISO president? Our vision is really to have everybody use international standards, as many as possible, really. And I think that is uh, something that we're working on constantly and have been for 75 years. Well, why we do it is because it benefits the world. It benefits the trade between countries that we use the same standards, all of us. As president, it's my job to see that we go on promoting standards, international standards. And that's, I guess, one of the goals, the the ISO strategy 2030 is to, so standards can be used everywhere. To do that is to demonstrate the benefits, but to demonstrate the benefits, we also need to know what standards are, because not many people are too aware of what they are. Can you just kind of give us an overview of what standards are and what a world would look like without them? Well, standards are something that we have agreed on, a, a common ground, that this is how we should work. This is how something would look, common process. 
we speak the same language. So it's, it's really simple. And I think most people are really aware about standards, but they are invisible. One of my jobs is to make them visible, to see that, make people understand what they can do. There's an important element in standards as well, in addition to that, and that is that they're reached by consensus. So in other words, it's all of those interested participants can come together and have a say in what that yeah. rule, that agreement would look like and settling that solution or that requirement for the marketplace. And then, Adrian, then what would Australia look like without that consensus of standards? Oh, well, remarkably different to the country it is today. So, you know, if you think about what standards do in terms of ensuring safety, ensuring capability for markets to operate, you just take all of the consumer products that we go and purchase every day and we think and assume that they're safe because they've been developed to a standard. So a child car seat, the operation of a seat belt, the operation of furniture, the operation of buildings, lifts, all of those things that we just take for granted, all of those things, if they weren't built to a standard, then we would never be sure that they are actually safe to operate. And the economy essentially would become one based on your individual knowledge of a particular circumstance, as opposed to the community's acceptance that this thing is safe. So we walked into this building today on the assumption that we could get into that lift and that lift would operate safely because it was built to a standard. And I guess then, Karen, internationally looking at what the world would look like without standards, in terms of international trade, how would the world operate in that sense? Container ships would certainly look a little bit different, be a bit more like a, a, a Lego building exercise, and it certainly wouldn't be as, as important. That's one of the most important standards is the one that shows the dimensions of the container. They weren't all the same size. Would it, it would fit be together? like a Tetris. That's right. Tetris game. Tetris. It would be, <laughs> it would be like a, a lot Tetris more complicated. Yeah, it's very complicated. And, and to put them on trains and to load them places and then the, the tunnels to be the right size that the trains go through. But another good illustration of having an international standard so that we can move freely is a, is a credit card. The credit card, when you put it in an FPOS machine, in whether you're in Stockholm or Sydney, it's the same size because otherwise you'd need a, a different credit card for every country or 200 machines in each country. So um, I think, you know, setting the standard, it introduces such amazing efficiencies that we just take for granted. Yeah, I think that's probably where the lack of awareness comes from is because it's just such the norm. It's how we just live every single day. And like you said, walk into this building, getting into the lift, we just assume that it's going to take place. Until you travel internationally and then you realise that your plug doesn't fit into somebody else's <laughs> yes. plug. And you think, why couldn't there be a standard for this? And that's a good illustration that most people are familiar with when they carry around a bag of adapters yeah. as to where standardisation hasn't worked. Standard Australia is now 100 years old. Mm. The Swedish organisation where I come from is 100 years old and electricity was even before 100 years. So there were no standardisation bodies at that time. Every did, everybody did the national thing and nobody really took the effort to change it. I think that is the, the problem now because it will be complicated to change. So you've all kind of spoken about the importance of it and having standards in their day-to-day -day for international trade, for our day-to-day -day lives. How then does Standards Australia work together with ISO? Might leave that to you, Adrian. A good question. So ISO for us yeah. is the main international standards setting body and it has 167 member countries and for Australia as a middle ranking trading power or trading nation, it's very important for us that the world adopts the same international standards. So to Ulrika's point earlier, we want the one standard applied everywhere. ISO is the best way to get that and therefore Standards Australia participates in ISO as the member of the Australian member of ISO A to support the development of international standards but also to support the operation of ISO as an effective international body. Adrian, you were recently appointed member of the ISO Council. 
What does this reinforce for Standards Australia and the wider Australian community? Because it's a position which is elected by all of the members, I'd like to think that it actually reflected well on Australia as a, a national standards body on our contribution to ISO, the respect and the expertise that we're able to offer. We put forward a platform when we ran for election to the council and the platform was built on continuing to support ISO's innovation in its core business of standards development, in ensuring that all voices are heard and that ISO's governance was effective and that as an organisation it was sustainable and was able to deliver the right solution at the right time in the right format to the market. That's what I, as the council member, seek to see delivered in ISO forums in the governance role and I think that that's... Um, why we were supported so well in being elected to the ISO Council by both developed and developing nations, I might say. And you mentioned all voices to be heard. That is one of the the goals for for ISO. And as well, I think it's important to note that, Ulrika, you were the first uh, female ISO president. How can we normalise this in the future, so going forward? I'm the first, but I won't be the last. So I think that there will be several ones following it. It's, it's that famous glass roof. You have to go through it. And that has happened now. And so there will be more female presidents. Yes. Yeah, no, great. And, and then in align with that, the ISO Gender Action Plan. Can you talk us through the importance of, of that plan that ISO have, have created? Yes, it is important, of course, that we get more women on, in some of the committees that we have. We have about 300 committees, so there should be room for some more women in some of them. But I think the gender plan really, the important thing with the gender plan is that when we take and deliver standards, they should be made for both sexes and sometimes also even for kids. Adrian talked about car safety, for instance. I mean, it's vital that safety belts can handle a pregnant woman. Kids as well should be, you know, have safety belts as well. So in the past, we would try them on males. Crazy, but we did. And now we do that all over. So it's a lot of things. I mean, it could be appliances, a cap, hard hats in building places, and they have to be working with for both women and men. So at the moment, because of the way that it is, it's not the case with them. Well, it's getting there. We're yeah. getting there. So it's uh, all new standards will have that trial so that they fit everybody. It's all voices heard, even in the standards applicable. More voices heard, better standards, kind of a, an outcome. Yeah. Um, and, and another area is the strengthening ISO members and developing countries through capacity building. Can you just talk us through the idea of capacity building and, and the importance of it? Well, I think it's very important for the developing world. We have to remember that about 75, 80% of the people on earth lives in the, live in the developing countries and they got huge challenges and they really need standards to move forward economically, but especially when it comes to sustainability for a lot of them. Capacity building within those countries, we can give them the chance to use standards, not inventing the wheel themselves. We can help them use standards and build up the capacity and the organizations within those countries so that they can also take part in developing the standards. And what is Australia doing, Karen, in, in that regard with capacity building? How are we involved? We've been involved in capacity building projects for, for some time. And, you know, that's because we, we realise that the ISO and the IEC system really is only as strong as, as our members. We have 160 members and we want to make sure that they're all strong and able to represent their countries at ISO so that all voices are heard, to, to use that expression again. We do have a focus on developing standards bodies in our region, particularly in Southeast Asia and the Pacific. And we have long relationships, particularly with our Pacific Island colleagues. So we're doing a couple of projects at the moment in the Pacific. One very much focused is the Pacific Quality Infrastructure Initiative that we're doing 
in partnership with the Pacific Island Forum Secretariat, includes a number of training programs, but also quite a new concept that we've introduced in a mentoring program so that our colleagues in the Pacific are partnered with um, Standards Australia staff to really help them on their journey in learning things that they want to explore further in their standards body. As an outcome of that, will that strengthen then international trade and relationships with those developing countries? through capacity building? I think it will definitely strengthen those national standards bodies because it really is reliant on the the people that are working in the standards bodies to carry forward their positions internationally, but also to promote standards in their country. And I think that's the important point as well is the implementation of the standard in the economy. Because if developing countries are going to reach the levels of prosperity of the developed countries, they need to be able to enter into the global supply chains. And that means that they need to have systems and and standards in place. And there are great opportunities now, particularly with digital technology, for developing countries in a sense to leap over the sort of historical steps that you'd need to go to, to get into marketplaces because digital technology takes out a lot of the old systems and you can participate by staying in your own country, but you can still export or you can do the work in your own country rather than having to set up in a export-based country. So the application of standards in the country or the implementation is critical to enable those countries to to reap the benefits of the those opportunities. And that's why we're sort of very keen to sort of continue to work with ISO in on a sort of developing a country's action plan. And in terms of growing that digital economy or growing that with, with those developing countries, another area that's within the ISO strategy 2030 is meeting global needs. From the perspective of ISO, what external drivers do you anticipate that you will face in the future and how that might affect ISO's current business model to meet those needs of of its consumers? Well, I think we will go on as we always have been doing, really. And it's just that we are, as an organization, now aware about some of the needs in the developing countries more than ever. So we changed our our policy on, on financing development in these countries. We have been relying on government subsidy grants for that, but we're now also reaching out to the private sector. When doing that, we will, as an organization, add in economic resources as well into that so that we can enhance the work that we are doing, capacity building, and try to, of course, get them on board, these countries. But I think that we will keep going with our model. We've done so, and I think that will be, for the nearest future, yes, we will stick to that. And Adrian, then from Standards Australia's perspective with external drivers, are we continuously innovating the current business model to meet those market needs as well? Yes, Standards Australia is investing very heavily in, in the transformation of all elements of its business from engagement production to distribution of standards because we need to make sure that we're meeting the needs of the community. And that's something that's continually changing. The expectations of our end users, those who would benefit from the standards that we develop, of course, are increasing because their experiences elsewhere in life, in their other parts of their life in in utilising digital technology, is that they'll have solutions available to them in a simple, accessible, useful and usable way. And our historic model of developing standards in a PDF book format and hoping that somebody can take 100 pages 
find the right part of the standard, apply it to their work or to their particular situation is no longer the way that people would normally experience. So we're doing a lot of work across all elements of our business to make sure that we're continue to be relevant to our core business, which is developing trusted solutions that empower the community. So I guess it's the customer value proposition that that is evolving. And then you mentioned Ulrika earlier today about speed to market being another core challenge that ISO are not trying to overcome, but trying to ensure that we are creating the right solutions at the right time to the market. And with the, all these emerging technologies, such as quantum, such as the circular economy, things like that, how, how are we, what are we doing in that regard to ensure that there is a speed to market? Well, I think that we have to look at different formats that we understand as that we deliver. There will be several, I think, levels. There will be a perfect, absolutely perfect standard will take maybe four years or something to get finished. And then we we have what we would call maybe a good enough standard that could come to market earlier. So I think that we will, you know, like the the software industry, we will continue and revise our standards in a different way than, than we've done before, more continuously working. Is it the difficulty is trying to strike the balance between the consensus and the quality of the standard and speed to ensure that although you want to get quick to the market, you don't want to deteriorate the actual standards itself? As long as you are clear on what, what you're doing, I think that is okay. It has to do with the pricing model because they don't want to buy something first uphand for the same price, probably, as the, the final standard. So that is also something that we have to consider. But I think that if we want to meet the market needs, we have to move faster and we have to recognize that for some in the market, the good enough standard is enough. And for others, the more elaborate worked through standards is needed. So basically, it will be two different products. And it's not necessarily a trade-off between quality and speed. It's actually, to Ulrika's point, it's you might develop the terminology first or you might you might do it in steps. And rather than waiting to have the whole standard ready, you might yeah. have those parts that are very important for them to be able to proceed with and you put that to market first and then you follow on with the other elements of the standard or you look more deeply into particular elements of it. But I don't think it's always a question of quality and versus speed. And if we kind of move the shift, then look at geopolitical matters. So completely go <laughs> the, the other side. Um, with ISO, Adrian, you mentioned how there is 167 members. That's a lot of countries, a lot of different opinions, diverse opinions. How do you, as ISO president, navigate those geolo- geopolitical shifts? We have to remember that ISO is a non-political organization. We want to last over time. So we try to keep away from the very political issues. I think that is a very sensible stand to take. Otherwise, it will come become very complicated. But we are aware of it, of course. Yes. We have to be aware of it. We, we can't you know, just turn a blind eye, you know. Of no. course. And you've coined standards as the passport of trade. Can you just elaborate on that? Well, I think it's fairly easy. We talked about containers. If you're selling something, you have made a commitment. And if that commitment is also linked to the standards that the product is built on, you will, as a consumer, be sure that you're getting what you're actually buying and you will feel safe. And probably you will also feel that you get a good product, that it is tried and you get quality into that. So I think that is uh, essential. And when it comes to tendering between different countries, if you say that this, we will tender according to a uh, Australian standards, then only Australian companies can go into that tender. But if, as you tender to an international standards, you will get more companies being able to live, deliver. And at the end of the day, I think that will make business better and 
economy better. Do you see it the same from from your perspective, Karen? Yes, and and also not only Ulrika has has highlighted that then we're playing by the same rules that fairness in setting the the requirements, but it allows countries to be able to shape those rules rather than them being implemented on them. With international standards, there's the opportunity for them to participate and get involved in areas that are of you know greatest interest for them. But with a, a local standard, it's much more limited to how they could help shape that standard, particularly if they're one voice among a whole lot of national interests on the, on the topic. Ulrika, then to your point in terms of, if we're looking at the next 10 years, what challenges do you foresee and how might, how might ISO overcome those challenges? Well, we talked about how fast we are getting to the market. That is, of course, a challenge. And there will also be, I think, other organizations that are interested in, in starting standardization. There's a lot of standardization become a bit of a buzzword now. And I think there is one thing that we have to be aware about, and that is the software industry. I think there will be in the software products they will also try to get, you know, close to standards. I just have to mention Microsoft, I think. Yep. <laughs> Windows. And we all know that that is sort of becoming a standardization. So that might spread to other areas. And we have to be aware of that. But I, I think if the software industry is wise, they will connect to the standards because that will give them the possibility to, when we revise the standards, they will also revise their products and probably charge for them again, right? So, so there is a connection, but I think that we should be aware that the, in the software industry can be a challenge for the world of standardization. From Standards Australia's perspective, what do you foresee as those, those challenges within the next uh, 10 years? I support what Ulrika said, but I would add from our perspective, but I think it's also applicable to ISO, and that is the next generation of contributors or experts. So a lot of our work has been built on the back of the contribution over many years of professional engineers and experts who have participated, but who are now reaching retirement age or beyond retirement age. And they've worked in a particular way that has developed over many years, uh, you know, in committees. I don't think that that method of working is necessarily amenable to or the way that the next generation, the younger digital natives want to work. And I don't think it's also the way that women particularly would want to work where they don't want to come into a room of, you know, 15, 20 older gentlemen who've known each other for a long period of time and work together because you don't feel you're really part of that. And it's not necessarily how you can work anyway. If we're going to continue to develop trusted solutions with the contribution of the experts that we need, then we're going to need to adapt our standards development process to build it the way that people want to work, not how we've worked traditionally. And I think that's a big challenge for us, but it's also a big challenge internationally. Finally, Ulrika, your key priorities for the next year and a half as, as ISO president, uh, what are they? Uh, I think that we're coming back to is constantly the speed where we develop. I think, as Adrian said, if we want to have young people coming into this business, it's also a question of where we move, in what pace we move forward when we develop the standards. A four-year period for a standard is much too long if you're 35 or 40. I mean, it, it, it doesn't... They don't, they don't accept You've that. You've changed jobs twice in that yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> and more. So we have mm. to change this. Mm. We have to change this. That is going to be one of the challenges because we need to get these 35, 40 year old people interested in standards, first of all. And then they would not scare them with, you know, with the way we're working today. So that is a challenge. 
And we, we're starting talking about it. That's the first step that we realize it, that it is a, st- a challenge. And then we have to take that on and see what we can do to move forward uh, to better the, the, the processes that we have when we develop standards. That's great. Well, I just want to thank you all so much. That's uh, very insightful um, from Standards, Standards Australia's perspective internationally from ISO and yourself, Karen, from international team. So thank you all very much. Thanks, Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you.